This is David Bateson. This is Sissy Jones. This is Steve Downs. The voice of Agent 47. The voice of Fury in Darksiders 3. The voice of Master Chief Sierra 117. And you're listening. And you are listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. The Xbox Expansion Pass. The Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 74 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, March 14th, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we discuss the Bethesda Roundtable and the information that it revealed. We'll look ahead to the upcoming Square Enix event, and is Outriders coming to Game Pass on day one? Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I want to offer words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness are a bit twofold, as I want to thank Game Positive YouTube, a Twitter user and content creator on YouTube, for reaching out and offering thanks to me, and thus making my week, after he listened to an interview I did with SecondPlayer.net's editor-in-chief Chris Johnson about content creation and the genesis of XEP, and the things that I have learned in making the show over the last 70-plus episodes, the do's and don'ts, as it were, which was a really great time for me because I got to be the one who was interviewed, which was which was pretty fun as I typically am the interviewer. But I offered Chris Johnston a lot of, of my insights into the podcasting world and I talked a lot about what it is that I try to do and whom I like to learn from. And then Game Positive reached out and said that he reworked a lot of his philosophies, changed the way he was approaching different types of his content creation. And uh, in large part, it just made my day to know that I got to help out some other people in what it is they want to do and to find that secondplayer.net is succeeding in its purpose to uh, collate and bring together different types of, of gaming podcasts for people to check out, but also help other content creators do a, a great job. I know he has some incredible guests lined up for the the furthering of that particular show, but I was just thrilled to see that uh, even one person was, was able to learn from my mistakes and, and create better content as a result of it. So, to Chris Johnson of Second Player, thank you so much. I hope that uh, I, I did your your show a good service for what you were hoping. Uh, and to Game Positive, I'm so glad that it helped you. I would encourage any content creator or listener of game podcasts, depending upon uh, y- your view of that, go to secondplayer.net and check that site out as it is a really great source for finding the right kind of content that you're interested in, but also a, a, an offshoot of it is allowing us to learn from different types of content creators. It's just a neat a neat thing. Before we get into the bulk of the show, I do want to let you know that I have several codes to give away over the next few weeks. Uh, this week, I'll be giving away a code for Crash Bandicoot 4. It's about time. They're, of course, having their Series S and X uh, uptick and re-release for 
the Xbox Series S and X. Uh, I do have a code for that to give away, and all you'll need to do to enter is uh, screenshot yourself, subscribe to XEP on YouTube, or offer an iTunes review, and if you do both, I'll triple your entries. Respond to the tweet that I put out with the links to this show. I typically put those out on Monday morning or Sunday afternoon. Respond to it with a screenshot of that, and I will enter you into that Crash Bandicoot 4 giveaway and pick a winner later on the launch week of this episode. And I'll do the same for the upcoming indie games that I have as well. I think I have some Dungeon Defenders and uh, a few other smaller titles that look really cool that I think you'll enjoy. So that's it for that. Let's get to the news, and it is plentiful. Well, the notes this week are extensive and for good reason. With the Bethesda deal done, both Microsoft and Bethesda thought it prudent to have a roundtable on March 11th, and it delivered in plenty of regards with lots of news and clarification being offered to listeners. For anybody that wasn't able to catch it, you should know this was a very personable roundtable in which two Microsoft execs flew out to Bethesda, Maryland uh, to sit down with Todd Howard, Pete Hines, uh, and more of the team members joined digitally as well. And they discussed just what this deal meant. This, of course, was the first day they've been allowed to actually work together, which is indicative, of course, of the legalities that are involved uh, with a merger of this uh, of this magnitude in the gaming verse. Now, if you're a bit tired and weary of the Bethesda stories that have been coming out over the last few weeks and the discussions that have taken place, stick with me through this because the clarifications I think are very useful in understanding just what this deal is going to bring to the, to the gaming verse, the changes that it's going to offer uh, on a multi-platform basis and an exclusive basis. Of course, that's the rather tired discussion at this point, but the clarifications and the optimism that came from this roundtable was uh, really, really enlightening in a lot of ways. The tone was rather jovial as Pete Hines was the moderator for this discussion. He looked like an absolute natural, nailing it. There seemed to be a bit of editing involved there, but it it was editing that I graciously and, and very much appreciated, I suppose, after many live events that Xbox has put on seemingly failing to deliver in terms of the refined quality that you would hope for. This seemed to be an edited event that that really covered plenty of different topics, and Pete Hines touched on a lot of different aspects to the Bethesda acquisition and just what it means for Xbox and Bethesda alike. The jovial, genuine vibe with executives is not something you always get, and it was something that we got here. And it seemed to me that while these were... Uh, executives in their respective platforms, Bethesda and Xbox, they were gamers, they were personable, they were relatable, and they seemed to genuinely feel happy about the direction that they were moving in. And again, that's not something you always get in a business deal. You want business people to be good at celebrating their business and and doing right by uh, their customers, doing right by their employees. This felt to me that they were trying to do right by customers, employees, and the games and services of which they offered. Now, this roundtable was complemented by roughly 20 Bethesda games arriving into Game Pass with more on the way. Titles like Dishonored, the Doom franchise, now the very prominent Elder Scrolls Online, and games like Morrowind, Prey, Oblivion, Rage 2, all arriving into Game Pass as well. And several of those games are also the recipient of the newly released uh, FPS boost feature, the frame frames per second boost. Uh, five of them, I believe, in the Bethesda catalog are receiving the, the FPS boost with Dishonored Definitive Edition, Fallout 4, Skyrim Special Edition, Fallout 76, and Prey being the first among the titles to do that. 
that is a, I think, a great natural extension and a great immediate way to show fans that Bethesda is part of the Xbox family when you have 20 titles from old legacy titles like the old Doom games to the more recent Doom Eternal dropping into that catalog immediately for Game Pass customers really is a, a statement of intent for Microsoft and Xbox and Bethesda to show that their their fans that you know Bethesda is a part of the family now. They're going to celebrate the heritage. They're going to celebrate with exclusivity going forward. And there's a lot to look forward to with the refined features like FPS Boost, two titles that, that many people think of as beloved. Moreover, uh, being included in Game Pass allows certain titles to perhaps gain second life or cult classics or games that may have been overlooked by the masses in their release time. They now have a second chance to garner that much more attention because all eyes are on these particular titles as they drop in with this Bethesda deal. I've heard many times Evil Within, Dishonored, and Prey be discussed as incredible games now in their own right that are deserving of more fanfare than they initially got. You might argue that Dishonored and Prey and and uh, Evil Within each had a, a cult-like following, which is appropriate, I suppose, thematically in some senses, but that cult following that they had of being extremely good games in their own right but not landing at the 10 million mark mass appeal type thing, uh, this gives them a, a second chance to be appreciated by an audience. I think the Xbox audience is likely to accept them with open arms because they've been so desperate for games that they could call their own, either, either by homegrown talent or acquisition. It doesn't really matter in the long run. Those are for podcast pundits to care about, but but gamers really will not care about that kind of thing. This is a, a great chance for those games to receive new light. Now, beyond the immediate effects of, of Game Pass arrivals and, and boosted uh, classic games and back and pat, there were a lot of pieces of news and information that came out as well as far as the near future and the prolonged future that we're going to see as a result of this. There is a summer event coming. By Aaron Greenberg and the Bethesda executives acknowledged that there were summer events in the works already, which is no surprise to anybody, that were E3-related and not E3-related. And this is likely going to be combined or at least done in conjunction, strengthening the announcements of both. Uh, we had a couple people write in as to what we think about just what's going to happen with this Bethesda summer event or this Xbox summer event. Is it going to be one event overall? Are they going to happen back-to-back? -back? Are they going to happen separately? What will the branding be therein? Uh, Stuart actually wrote in on this one on Twitter, and he said, do you think the Microsoft Bethesda uh, deal will be releasing anything new this year? His prediction, of course, is that Wolfenstein 3 will be in the fall of 2021, so this year. Uh, Stuart, as far as this summer event goes, I think you'll see a either back-to-back -back event where, like, Xbox goes at 7 o'clock and Bethesda is at 8. Uh, or uh, what I would really like to see is a an hour and a half, 90-minute Xbox Games Showcase where Bethesda is simply included in that and they spotlight and, and are, are uh, gaining attention within it because Bethesda has done some incredible E3 events. They've also had some duds. Uh, I was there at the event in 2019 that really seemed to celebrate and acknowledge uh, their successes, to acknowledge their their drawbacks. I think Bethesda has been very open about their failings with Fallout 76 and Elder Scrolls Online. And since, those games have recovered incredibly. In fact, uh, it came out in this exact roundtable that the Elder Scrolls Online has 18 million players, with 3 million players being added in the last year. Mind you, that is a multi-platform game that is going to be boosted that much more by Game Pass. 
Certainly there's some overlap in that, but when you think about a, a roughly 15 million Game Pass subscribers and the 18 million you know, players that have played Elder Scrolls Online, the chance for cross-pollination there is ripe for it. We also found out that Fallout 76 is one of the most played games on Xbox, and equally so, the game is really on track and doing a fantastic job at creating content and being a very healthy online experience for the community and it has a very enthusiastic community and that surprised me i suppose a bit when we've had news stories uh, in the past few years about anthem about uh, destiny about avengers and rough launches like 76 and some of those games being abandoned some of those games really faltering and some of those games recovering brilliantly uh, it was encouraging for me to find out that fallout 76 was as healthy as it was i was rather blind to the idea that Elder Scrolls Online was as popular as it was. And so to see that those are, are being as supported as they are, that was encouraging. Now to go back to uh, Stuart's actual question as to what I see happening this year, I don't know much about what we're going to see launching from Bethesda specifically this year. I think the conversation tends to revolve around Starfield, which we know now is an open-world RPG. And that's about all we know. We don't know much else beyond that. Uh, but a lot of people seem to think that's happening this year. I'm a bit skeptical on that idea because we've seen so little of it. We've not seen much beyond some some grainy leaks here and there. And we don't even know what kind of game is it. If it's open world RPG, is it first person? Is it third person? Is it going to be more like Fallout or a third person action game like a third person destiny or an anthem but with content i i do not know i don't even know what starfield is or even what time period it's set in for goodness sakes i mean it looks near future maybe uh there's a lot to wonder about that uh for my money though Stuart, i think if you're xbox and you're bethesda and you're sitting down you're like all right how do we generate excitement bring more people into our ecosystem that is now shared you put up splash screens for future projects like Dishonored 3, like The Evil Within 3. You greenlight those games, and you give those fans that are hardcore, passionate, and loud on the interwebs, but maybe didn't all purchase into those ecosystems initially, and you generate hype around those two franchises that are high-quality games and deserving of more fanfare than they initially get. If you put up those splash screens and just say, you know, in future or coming or Dishonored 3 in production now, you can pull a Nintendo, a Metroid Prime 4, uh, as it were, and get people excited about your platform and what the future brings. Sony has done this masterfully with games like God of War Ragnarok, where we are all buying into that ecosystem, excited for the next experience in that franchise because the early one was so good that we have no timeline for it. But I think God of War Ragnarok genuinely is going to sell and is selling PlayStation 5s. People are buying for that investment. If you splash screen cult classics like that, then people will be talking about it for months and perhaps years to come as they're excited for the next iterations of those franchises. Not to mention the added benefit that many Bethesda titles exist on other platforms. PC and PlayStation are kind of the most obvious there, but uh, when people play Dishonored 1 and 2 and then find out that Dishonored 3 is on the way, but they can only play it in Xbox's ecosystem, I think that generates a lot of hype and uh, successful amounts of marketing just organically for it. Uh, but beyond that, Stuart, I don't know what specifically you'll see this year. Uh, again, the thinking is Starfield. The thinking is Starfield. If they have a Wolfenstein 3 in the queue for 2021, 
I would be surprised, mainly because we've heard no true mutterings on it. I don't think Wolfenstein Youngblood did that much in the way of uh, advancing interest in Wolfenstein. I think it may have actually hurt it just a bit. And Machine Games certainly has other projects and talents that they could be putting it towards. Also, the timelines don't seem to match well for a lot of AAA games to be released in 2021 that we don't know about. Certainly, COVID delayed games that should have been 2020 games or early 2021 games. Certainly delayed that in some cases indefinitely, in other cases in, in a reasonable amount of time. Moreover, uh, what platforms would they be releasing on? Are these Series S and X games, or are they Xbox One Series X games, like blended generation type stuff? I don't know how you approach that without having heard much this year. That said, we do know based on Jason Ronald's comments and in this exact roundtable that there are games on the way. There are games that are going to be exclusive to the Xbox ecosystems on the way. And that exclusivity conversation has been one that we've heard many times. We've talked it to death in speculatory, speculatory, speculative. It's been speculated on a plenty for sure. But Phil Spencer did offer some clarity on that exact topic. And I'm not going to spend too much time on it apart from reading some quotes and, and just acknowledging what we know and what we don't. It was said in regards to exclusivity that there were contractual obligations that must be fulfilled and that partnership is really about delivering exclusive games that ship on platforms where Game Pass exists. Those were Phil Spencer's words. Ship on platforms where Game Pass exists. And this goes to a point that I don't think we're going to get to read his full question this episode, but Hypecaster wrote in, and one of the things he was spotlighting was that Game Pass is going to exist not just on consoles, not on PCs, not just on uh, generic xCloud things, but on smart TVs. They're going to exist on, on various stick devices. I mean, there are, are theorized Xbox, you know, like, like Fire Stick type devices out there. But certainly at some point in this generation, there will be ways to access Game Pass that will not require a console in any way, shape, or form. They will simply require a controller and in ways that we're not doing it right now. Smart TVs is the easiest uh, example because we know that is on the way. We know exclusive games are coming to the Xbox ecosystem, but that they're going to fulfill contractual obligations. These are things like Deathloop, like Ghostwire Tokyo, that have been promised to the PlayStation community community to have a timed exclusivity, which is, I think, important that they honor it. And continuing in, in the quotes that Spencer said, I'm going to, to read exactly. He said, quote, If you're an Xbox gamer, the thing I want you to know is that this is about delivering great exclusive games for you that ship on our platforms where Game Pass exists. That's our goal. That's why we're doing this. That's the root of the partnership that we are building and the creative capability that we will be able to bring to market for our Xbox customers. It's going to be the best it's ever been for Xbox after we're done here. End quote. Bottom line, guys, I think there are a lot of Xbox exclusive games on the way, and that's a smart thing to do in rewarding Xbox customers for investing in the Xbox ecosystem. But no longer does the Xbox ecosystem mean you have to have an Xbox. That's not a new turn of phrase, but it is one that's kind of doubled down on in Spencer's very carefully worded verbiage. He says where Game Pass exists, smart TVs, xCloud, Series S, Series X, PC, wherever you can log into the Xbox ecosystem, you're going to get exclusive games. I also really do appreciate the sentiment and mentality that they're going to honor contractual obligations. I would actually be rather upset, even as an Xbox primary gamer, 
if they were to blow off Death, Deathloop's exclusivity agreements or Ghostwire Tokyo's exclusivity agreements and if they tried to nullify that immediately because I think it does a disservice and it breaks the messaging that Xbox is there for the gamers. They've had to really pivot in the Xbox One generation now into the Series S and X generations about being there for the customer and doing right by the customer and being perhaps the most customer friendly of the big three. And they've been successful in that in large part, save for a few uh, stubbings of the toe that they quickly regressed on, thinking about the Xbox Live price hike uh, that they almost enacted. But they've done a good job at generating goodwill amongst gamers. And I think the mindset and mentality around the brand of Xbox is really shifting for the gaming community. In the console-specific space, PlayStation is simply dominant. Uh, They are just absolutely crushing it in terms of the hardcore gamer. I find myself thinking, though, about this. When I think of the hardcore gamer, I don't think of Nintendo fans. And I don't know if I'm doing them a disservice, but to me, I don't think they're on the same playing board any longer. It doesn't feel natural to consider Nintendo in the console war at least not in my mind, not in the, the standard way of selling units. The Switch and the Nintendo platform just seems to be so fundamentally different in intent and in audience reach that it's trying to to garner up that I think we're talking apples and oranges to a point more and more every single week. Maybe I'm maybe I'm off base there, and I welcome anybody commenting on that, but it, it, it's interesting. Um, we had a couple questions being written in about this, and there's more news to get to. As I said, this is an extensive topic that is uh, fascinating to hear about. But Emmett Watkins Jr. wrote in, and he said, you know, I'm late to the party, but I want to know, do you think we'll eventually get all Bethesda games on Game Pass? I'm talking Brink, Wet, Rogue Warrior, and all the older titles that are long forgotten. I'm not saying we need to, but man, would that be a novel thing. Emmett, I love the idea. I really do, because Microsoft has done a great job at celebrating legacy with Back Compat, with FPS Boost. They've been pushing a lot of titles out. Of course, you have the 20 Bethesda games that are now into Game Pass immediately, and, and, and I right away downloaded Prey and Dishonored myself. Um, as far as the games that they're spotlighting, Morrowind, ESO, Doom, it's great to see. Wet was an awesome game. If any of you don't know what we're talking about, there was a game on Xbox 360 called Wet that really played with a lot of bullet time, slow motion features, and had a very, uh, I don't even like saying it now because it's become a meme, but cinematic vibe to a lot of its gunplay, and it was really cool. One of my favorite 360 games, albeit a bit short, though I'll be honest, I could go for a short shooter right now. I'm not I'm not into this whole 25-hour shooter game uh, thing at the moment. Uh, Wet was awesome. Rogue Warrior was the worst game I think I've ever rented from Blockbuster for achievements, uh, for sure. And Brink, I don't know, Emmett. I'm not sure. But I do think that as far as capturing Legacy, you'll see a lot of those titles happen. Barring any contract negotiations that can't be fulfilled, uh, I mean, like, depending on the actors that were involved, like Mickey Rourke was in Rogue Warrior, uh, or, or maybe some of the bigger branded titles that they've worked on. Maybe not, but I think it would be a smart thing to do to get as much of that Xbox and Bethesda catalog now uh, available everywhere in as many places as they can get to garner interest for future projects. And uh, it doesn't hurt to have that Bethesda splash screen in as many places as possible because Bethesda going forward will become synonymous with that Xbox splash screen. And some would argue, though I would disagree, but many argue that it already is because there is such a storied history between between Bethesda and Xbox, particularly in the Elder Scrolls and Fallout worlds. Uh, I appreciate that argument, though I don't subscribe to it. Now, let's look at, to me, what is 
perhaps the coolest aspect of this Bethesda acquisition. And that's the idea that within Bethesda, there exist multiple studios that have nailed this idea of IP rebirth. We often talk in the console space about God of War and just what God of War PS4 did for that brand, for that console, for that community base, and in changing everything. God of War PS4 changed the entire franchise. It stopped being the same uh, button mashy hack and slash rage monster exclusive that was really good in its own right, but certainly seemed to wane and uh, not evolve until that rebirth. And and people have said the same types of criticisms when they talk about games like uh, Gears of War, right? Well, if God of War 2018 was reborn, there are studios within Bethesda and now Xbox that have done the very same thing with games like Wolfenstein and Doom. And the lessons that they learned in successfully rebooting those franchises and still capturing the spirit of what it was to be a Wolfenstein game or a Doom game, th there are lessons that can be passed on to other Xbox game studios. And I think the common thought is, uh, Halo Gears, you know, like, what are you going to do there? But also older IP. How much is the Perfect Dark team going to benefit from conversations with id and from conversations with machine games to say, all right, how did you capture what was so key and important in those classic Doom games and still evolve and make your game great for the modern era? Those conversations will, will prove extremely beneficial for that team over at the initiative who wants to capitalize on what was a very successful N64 franchise, a moderately successful Game Boy franchise, and an unsuccessful Xbox 360 franchise. Perfect Dark has not been relevant in a long time, but people are excited about it because they have these nostalgic memories. How do you capitalize on that nostalgia while still evolving to a really cool uh, space for gaming design? I'm excited by that uh, prospect, by the idea of these Reborn Studios being successful. There's also the idea that we've had uh, circulating and percolating around the podcast creation space for many years at this point is where's Xbox sitting in Japan? We know they can't sell consoles there. It just hasn't worked. So the Asian market has eluded Microsoft for a long time. And rather than attack Japan in the traditional sense, they've gone to, to take different routes. They've been approaching via xCloud because mobile gaming is so popular there. They've been pushing xCloud and Xbox in Korea and in uh, South South American, that's not correct, in uh, Indian spaces where, where online infrastructures are also successful. And they're trying to get into that Asian and South Asian market well and working their way through into Tokyo and Japan in a very different way. Tango Gameworks is included within this Bethesda acquisition. Tango Gameworks was founded by Shinji Mikami. That's right, of, of Resident Evil 4, the guy who created an entire genre of survival horror who worked on The Evil Within 1 and 2 and Ghostwire Tokyo, which is a PS5 exclusive for, I believe, a year's time. That is an incredible opportunity for Microsoft to now firsthand have a successful, accomplished studio that exists and works in Japan and to continue building relationships that they've been working to build over the last two and three years. Phil Spencer often says that he's been on planes to Japan uh, pre-pandemic, mind you, to discuss these things. This presents a number of opportunities for Microsoft to make a headway in there, to get their brand out there, more popular, and successfully 
forgive the term, but penetrate that market in a way that I think will will see ramifications for years to come. Go back to the earlier verbiage in all of this. Game Pass customers, or, or Xbox customers rather, will benefit from this acquisition anywhere that Game Pass exists. And in in the the Asian markets where internet speeds are just incredibly fast and far faster than in the European and North American markets, xCloud is it. That's it. You don't need to sell consoles. You need to sell subscription numbers. xCloud is the way to go. And can you imagine if Dishonored 3 or The Evil Within 3 launches on xCloud day and date in those markets uh, or or Tango Gameworks puts out a game there, there's a, a big opportunity for the furthering and the advancement of the Xbox brand that has been largely stagnant in those markets for sure. So, I mean, plenty more to talk to there, but I love the idea that we find out Elder Scrolls Online and Vault 76 are, are far more successful than I realized. I love the idea that we have opportunities for a lot of different uh, interworkings and conversations about the elements of Beth- things that Bethesda does very well. Gunplay with id, you know, what are they going to do with talking to 343 and the coalition about about making their weapons feel fantastic? What are Elder Scrolls and Fallout 76 going to learn from Sea of Thieves and cultivating online communities and crossplay? The Orion streaming service that existed by Bethesda, how does that impact Game Pass and XCloud going forward? There are so many conversations that the, there are mutually beneficial ideas uh, for both companies that are now one company, I suppose, now that Zenimax is there. It's thrilling, and the ideas are are going fast and furious, and I'm excited for it in a way that I don't think I was before the roundtable. It was the tone, the attitude, the way they discussed projects, and I wasn't the biggest Bethesda fan, but I felt better about it as I learned more about these studios, and I think there is a, just a lot that's going to be happening there. I'm also guiltily going to admit, I totally want that fighting game that, that is percolating around in people's mindsets. It's totally concept art, but the idea that uh, you would have a fighting game with Doom Slayer versus Ori, yeah, I want that game. In non-Bethesda news, Square Enix made a bit of a splash this past week in announcing that they're going to have a 40-minute show taking place on March 18th at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern to spotlight several of their projects on their social channels, on their Twitch and YouTube's pages, uh, respectively. And I had a lot of mixed reactions when I saw the list of things that they're going to be talking about. First, Outriders is on the list. Now, Outriders, I am thrilled by. I love that Outriders demo. It took a little bit to grow on me. A few of the cinematics got me a little nauseous. I just skipped them. But that gameplay, man, I am there for it. Pre-order the game as a result of the demo. I am just ecstatic to play Outriders. We know they're going to be talking about something related to the game, which would make perfect perfect sense to talk about you know, what they've learned from the demo, what it is they're going to be doing going forward, getting people excited for their upcoming project. Easy win there. However, added caveat to that, uh, there's the possibility and rumor that has a bit more credence than I, I think I would have initially thought that Outriders would be launching day and date onto Game Pass. Now, this comes from a tease that that the Game Pass Twitter handle is known for doing. And before you dismiss immediately and outright, uh, allow yourself the the, the the latitude that I had to, to give myself before I realized that it just makes a lot of sense. That Melissa McGame Pass character that Game Pass Twitter handle uses to hilarious degrees, and I absolutely love it, 
used verbiage about a game that is coming up, uh, a new game, I should say, that is confirmed to come to Game Pass and is going to be uh, brand new for people. It references phrases like mysterious signal and anomaly. And when you go to the Outriders marketing, you've got new game, you've got the words mysterious signal and anomaly, and people are, are connecting the dots rather easily. It was meant to be a very obvious reference in that Melissa McGame Pass type of email that people are getting excited about. It's meant to be comedic, and it's not meant to be too elusive. They want people guesstimating and theorizing because they're talking about the service. And I cannot think of a better thing to happen to Game Pass in the month of, of April than Outriders coming day and date. If, if March is all about Bethesda, the idea that Outriders would launch day and date onto Game Pass is incredible. The game is a blast. It would need a good community and a good install base to gain even more notoriety not to mention it's a multi-platform game uh if it's got 15 million install base on xbox or at least the opportunity the potential for it mind you uh that'll really go a long way towards supporting the game getting people excited about it and purchasing it on other platforms as well we know for a fact that game pass uh, drives engagement in ecosystems and for a new game of that hype to hit the service is good for for both i can't imagine uh a conversation that we're launching into Game Pass hurts the game, particularly after the Avengers stuff. So whether or not it's coming to Game Pass, I don't know. But we'll, I imagine we'll find out on the 18th just what's happening with Outriders. But I'm stoked for the game regardless. If it's not coming to Game Pass, I'm buying it because I'm just so into that game. Now, also on the list for this 40-minute show that Square Enix is announcing, uh, there's some Life is Strange stuff. There's a new episode of Life is Strange. There's Marvel's Avengers on the docket. There's Tomb Raider 25, uh, which, let me, let me back up here. Marvel's Avengers, I'm not sure anybody cares about right now. I think they have just, oof, that game is just in a bad spot. The, the announcement that uh, the grind will get harder to advance your characters, the lack of content that's in the game, the fact that the first two characters were archers, and we know that the next character after that is to be Spider-Man, which is exclusive to PlayStation. I just don't know who's playing or who, or who cares about this game anymore. I re-downloaded it. I liked flying around as Iron Man, but the game got boring real quick. And for the next two characters to be archers, and then a character that I can't play on this particular ecosystem, man, I just don't know how they're winning people over there. Unless they announce something big, like Black Panther or the fact that Spider-Man wouldn't be exclusive, I don't know that they're surviving. I, I really don't. I am just I just don't think anyone cares about Marvel's Avengers anymore. I think the writing's on the wall and it's gone. Uh, I just don't think it'll take two years for it to be gone like it did for Anthem. Uh, also in this list, uh, we've got Life is Strange, new new episode, cool for people that like Life is Strange, not for me. Tomb Raider's 25th anniversary. I don't think anybody's really caring about that, not to my knowledge. Uh, maybe there's a collection that's released of, of Tomb Raider games, but most of them are available in Game Pass uh, or via Back Compat. Cool. Ball and Wonderworld is going to be on the list. That demo did terrible. I just can't imagine that's going to be a, a big deal. Just Cause Mobile is on the list of things to discuss. you got to be kidding me on that one. I, uh, and then Whimsical Games, which are their words, coming from their partner in Taito, which I believe does mobile stuff, uh, but that's fine. I feel for Square Enix right now because Outriders is the jam. Life is Strange, niche interests. As much as people want to celebrate it, uh, and it's deservedly so in its, in its genre, it doesn't have a lot of mass appeal beyond its genre. Avengers, dead game. 
seemingly, which I hate using that phrase, mind you. Tomb Raider 25th anniversary. I don't think people care when you can play the up-res versions in Game Pass of all the modern uh, Tomb Raider games, which are great in their own right, but interest seems to be waning. Uh, Ballon Wonderworld, just a bad demo. Game's not good. Uh, nobody said good things about it. A mobile just cause. I don't know who's asking for information on that, but I mean, good for your fans. And then more mobile games that are, are whimsical from Taito. I don't know who's interested. And I'm saying all of this not to be... Maybe I am saying it to be dismissive. I'm thinking, I'm processing my own thought patterns here. None of this thrills me except for the Outrider stuff. But I was already sold on that. I can't imagine I'm going to get sold on much more here. I'm interested to know... Uh, what's going through Square Enix's mind and what their mindset is and what they've got on the slate and if they'll change my perspective on it afterwards. Don't mistake my my trepidation and my doubt on this for me rooting against them. I am not. In fact, I really want Avengers to be to be back on the market and good. I really do. I like games like that. I enjoy being Iron Man. I want to be a superhero. I love superhero games. But for God's sakes, I can only punch so many robot tanks at a time. It just feels like uh, this this presentation is... What was is well intentioned, but next to the Bethesda stuff, it just it falls very flat. However, an Outriders on Game Pass Day One, that's the best thing that could happen to Square Enix right now. They need the goodwill, they need the interest in one of their games. Uh, people can fly would certainly benefit from the hype around it, and and I think it makes sense for that kind of game in general as well. So that's the win if it takes place, and if it doesn't, oof, they got to show something good. We'll see. We will see. <laughs> Before we get to listener mail, I have been doing some reviews as well. Dungeon Defenders Awakened was on my playlist this past week. That game is coming out in a few days. Uh, Not thrilled by it. That's to say the least. A lot of frame rate issues, a lot of frustrations there. I'll go more in-depth once... uh, the game is released and it's more available to to everybody. Um, I liked the Dungeon Defenders Tower to Defense third-person action ideas. I really do like that that brand, as it were, but uh, it's fallen short for me. I do have an extra code to give away, though, once the game releases for anybody that is interested in it. We'll probably do the same thing, like, hey, have you reviewed the show on iTunes or have you subscribed on on YouTube or whatnot? But uh, that's kind of one of the things I'm playing. I'm also kind of biding my time for Outriders. I played Halo Master Chief Collection recently, which on the Series X and on OLED TV, good lord, that game looks good. Uh, and I've been poking around some indies, having a good time, still working my way through Hitman. There's a, a fun... I'm on an Alien kick right now, so I'm playing Alien vs. Predator, and uh, I bought <laughs> I bought Aliens Colonial, Colonial Marines. That'll be here soon. That's not a back compact game, so I have to boot up the 360 to play that, but I'm just curious to play it now and just how it ages. I'm sure terribly, but five bucks is whatever. Uh, I'm just interested to see how that's going, and I'm playing a game that's kind of in that vein called Xenocrisis, which I've I've spotlighted and talked about before. That's a game I love. Uh, fun little indie title over on Game Pass. You should check it out. But let's now go to listener questions. The first question this week comes from Mr. Garrett Bland at Bland Explosion on Twitter, and he says, We saw very cool collaborations and crossovers between Bethesda Studios and the Roundtable. Now that Bethesda joins Xbox, do you think we'll see this between Bethesda and other Microsoft-owned studios? What crossover would you like to see? Doomguy skin in Halo would be dope. 
That is a great question. I am a fan of all types of crossovers. In fact, when I think about my favorite Forza moments, uh, it's actually driving the Warthog in that Halo-themed crossover or uh, playing on the Hot Wheels levels or in the Lego levels. I, I love crossovers of all kinds. I love having my Sea of Thieves, my ship library match Halo or State of Decay or something like that. I think they would be nuts not to do some Doom Guy Master Chief crossover skin type stuff availability, celebrating those franchises and the similarities between those two protagonists. Now, we've seen fan creations of it all day long, but we absolutely need more of it. If you could get some Master Chief armor in Fallout 76 or some of the Fallout games, uh, Liveries in Sea of Thieves is an easy win. Weapons in State of Decay is an easy win. I want to see all of that. I consistently talk about... Uh, with my friends lately, the idea of that that random fighting game from Microsoft. I want to see Ori smacking down Doom Slayer. I want to see Fallout Boy, Boy the Fallout Kid, thumbs up guy, uh, getting his ass kicked by anyone ever in that Microsoft slate because I just can't stand that little pit boy. I don't like him. He's ugly. I think he's annoying. Uh, whatever. But I, I would love to see more of those franchises explored and doing little celebratory crossovers. Those are fun. They're a great way to cross-pollinate and let fans get excited. I mean, I'm thinking back to the Ubisoft Capcom uh, division content where they had, you could be members of the RPD, the Raccoon City Police Department, in, in the Division 2. That was great, and it brought some people back to Division 2. It rose awareness for Capcom properties uh, like Resident Evil. Those are great. I love collabs, and I'm just all for any kind that we can get for sure. And I want to see the studios having fun with each other, celebrating one another. In Rage 2, which is a really fun Bethesda title uh, that has great gunplay and some neat driving, I suppose. A pretty forgettable story. You know, I'm not telling you it's the, the game to play every time, all the time. But it, it is a fun game that you shouldn't uh, miss out the opportunity to try, I suppose is the right way to put it. But in Rage 2, you can get plenty of Doom content. Well, that was cool. You know, getting the BFG and seeing some cool armor and stuff like that. Those, those are fun collabs to have. Uh, within the Bethesda universe, but now that they can cross further further lines, I want to see lots of it. I absolutely do, and I hope they are exploratory in just what they can accomplish. And moreover, I hope the studios take some liberties and, and poke fun at one another in a good way. There has been a lot of talk, Garrett, about this whole in-exile Obsidian and Bethesda uh, idea of, of RPGs and competition between them, and everybody's like, Fallout New Vegas 2 made by this, ditch your, ditch your platforms and make this game or that game. Heck no. Have some fun with each other. Celebrate the fact that you used to be competitors and now you're family. That's what I want to see. The next question comes from Mr. Skinny Matt, and he says, as someone that hasn't played any Bethesda games, what are two and three games that are now on Game Pass that I need to check out? Great question, Skinny Matt. I think a lot of people are asking this particular thing, and of course it will come down to just what you are interested in. If memory serves, Matt, I believe you're mostly a Nintendo gamer by trade, and if I'm wrong on that, I apologize. Uh, and if you've ever played any of the Bethesda games that are available on Switch by way of your Nintendo interest, I think you should absolutely download them on Xbox to see and feel the difference. Just how different is Doom 2016 on Switch versus uh, on, on a a better resolution, uh, faster box like an Xbox One X or a Series S or X. Uh, I know for me, the difference is massive because I'm, I'm fortunate enough and spoiled enough to be on an OLED TV with a Series X. But just to feel the difference between anything you might have played Bethesda-wise on your Nintendo platform, I would download just to try out, whatever that game is. Beyond that, Doom 2016 is always my recommendation for 
somebody that, that is trying to check out Bethesda stuff. And similarly, uh, Evil Within 2. Both are extremely high, highly regarded and representative of the talent that Bethesda has and offers in terms of single-player experiences. Uh, for anybody that has the time, my understanding is that Elder Scrolls Online is a fantastic option. Thousands of quests, a really ripe world that is uh, far more respected than I realized. And I'm new to that idea. And if I wanted to try out an online game, or let me rephrase, if Outriders wasn't on the horizon, I would be in Elder Scrolls Online right now. I'm just holding off because I don't want to get addicted and then bail on Outriders or Elder Scrolls. You know what I mean? That's I just don't want to double dip, I suppose, yet. I know I myself am going to be trying out Dishonored. I didn't give that game the chance, or I, I bailed on it very quickly way back in the day. Now that it looks like Arcane's going to be more well-supported, it makes sense for me to be well-versed in Arcane's work. So I'm going to be checking out Dishonored. And then, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, Rage 2 is not as, as polished as a Doom, but it has some cool open world elements, some great gunplay. Again, forgettable story, but if you like that Mad Max aesthetic, Rage 2 is uh, a good time. But uh, skip Rage. Don't, don't play Rage. That, that game's bad. The next question is also about Bethesda, as most of them are, I suppose. This one comes from Mr. Clint Coombs, and he says, I think one of the biggest things out of this Xbox Bethesda deal is that they now have the id tech engine. What games is Microsoft's library in Microsoft's library would you like to be seen made with this engine going forward? Have a great one. Uh, I think I briefly re referenced this earlier, Clint, but I did want to spotlight it a little bit more with your question. Uh, I think it makes sense for 343 and the Coalition to be sitting down with Machine Games and id and discussing gunplay and weapon mechanics and exchanging notes on just what they think each of their respective games do well. I do not want Halo to feel like Doom, and I do not want Gears to feel like uh, Wolfenstein or anything like that, but there's a lot to be learned about sound design, about reloading, about movements and weight and heft from one another. The id tech engine is just stunning and incredible, and I want to see it used in more properties going forward. That said, I don't want it to happen at the expense of uh, Studios' original visions. I think there's a lot to be taken away specifically from the Wolfenstein universe. Wolfenstein went from a game that had no communication and no dialogue to being a fully fleshed out ripe story that still captured the spirit of what it meant to be Wolfenstein. Uh, and it did that by way of its engine and mechanics. So I think there's a lot to be learned there. Maybe the perfect dark team actually learns a lot more from that id tech engine, uh, adopting it going forward or elements of it, or at the very least the do's and don'ts that could be learned from it. I think the bigger thing, Clint, is that we're going to see games that we don't know about yet using id tech under the, the, from an Xbox game studio that, that is outside of Bethesda. I think that will happen uh, in the years to come. But it won't happen quickly. It won't be an overnight thing. Uh, but it's the stuff we don't know about that's more thrilling. So good question there, uh, for sure, for sure. And I think this kind of bleeds into Assemble Show's question. Uh, and Assemble making incredible YouTube content, by the way. Shout out to you, man. You are just blowing it away, and uh, I am envious and proud of your success, my friend. Uh, he says, Phil Spencer commented that they have contracts with certain titles on other platforms like Sony, and that they will keep these commitments. Do you think once a contract is up, Xbox will put any or all of those Bethesda titles on Game Pass exclusively? I assume Assemble... Well, I'm making sure I understand your question correctly. You're saying that once an exclusivity deal is up, that game will only be available on Game Pass. I do not think that's the case. I think 
you know, Deathloop will always be for sale on PlayStation, and that's a good thing because then once it is on Game Pass, you can either buy it on PlayStation with your hard-earned money, or you can just you know subscribe to Game Pass, get all that value, and you can play it there. If that's not what you mean, I don't think they'll be pulling titles from like PlayStation Network stores or anything like that. Uh, going forward, and anything that's not announced right now or not contractually obligated, I think it will be exclusive, with a few exceptions in games like Fallout 76 uh, or, or content that's going to those particular games. Those are probably the only exceptions that I can think of there. Good question. Not one I think I have a great answer for you at the moment. Uh, I think time will tell. Case by case, all those th- all those buzzword answers that are PR specific that we just don't uh, have the details on just yet. Goodness gracious, we have been going for 45 minutes at this point. A lot to be discussed here from this, this Bethesda merger and just what it offers there. Of course, there was plenty more gaming news in the gaming space, uh, but this was the big stuff, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. At the top of this episode, I talked to you guys about secondplayer.net, and I will double down on that, hoping you guys go check out my interview over there, where I spoke with Chris Johnston about how XCP came to pass, how it was created, how it was formed, the lessons I've learned, some of the interviews that stand out in my mind. Uh, I I was really proud to get to be on his first episode, and I consider uh, that a very high honor, and so I thank you, uh, CJ, for that, for sure. Uh, beyond that, don't forget you can win a copy of Crash Bandicoot 4 for Xbox Series S and X by responding to this episode's announcement tweet over on Twitter at InsipidGhost with a picture of, or a screenshot I should say, of you subscribed to XCP over on YouTube or of an iTunes review that you have posted. Of course, the idea there being I want to bring more people to the show celebrating the show it's okay if you've already entered competitions like this again i still want to see those entries and if you have both the screenshot of subscriptions on youtube and itunes reviews i will triple your entry there for this particular giveaway Uh, i appreciate all of you guys i hope you have a wonderful safe rest of your week i've got a lot of things i'm looking forward to and nervous about Uh, i've already gotten my second pfizer shot so That'll be setting in over the next week or so. I'm welcoming students back to the classroom. I'm very nervous about that as we go to in-person learning uh, in a hybrid schedule. So I'm, I'm going to be very tired. I have uh, the Snyder Cut, which I am desperately excited for. Uh, nobody please rain on anyone's parade if they've been waiting for five years for a, a movie to be made since since uh, the dawn of Man of Steel and beyond. I've just loved the Snyderverse, so I'm very excited about that. And Try not to take away anyone's enjoyment there. There's a lot of great DC live-action content. You can celebrate multiple universes, which is dope. Uh, and, of course, there's this this Square Enix roundtable, which I'm excited for. And there's a lot looking forward to. I think for interviews for this show, uh, I know I'm going to be talking with Jeff Grubb over the next few weeks and a few other people kind of unconfirmed right now. But I took taken a break from requesting more interviews simply because of my schedule being so busy. Uh, but I'm looking forward to bringing more people back on. That's it for me, guys. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Take care, be safe, enjoy.